This is the moment you've all been waiting for. Live with the best father and son team on the internet. It's time for Homie and the Dude. What is happening, everyone? This is Homie and the Dude, the father and son, TTRPG podcast. And we are delighted and uh, privileged to have Brad from Dire Den join us today. Brad, we have been in communication over the last several months, and uh, it's great to finally have a formal uh, opportunity to meet you, to get to know you. So welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. That's great. Hey, hey, no, we're we're hyped to have you. Here <laughs> um, dude, I've got to ask because your, your your video content is awesome. You you know your your points are super concise in your videos. You know you you deliver your information really really well. Something that always that I always say when I when I watch kind of advice driven TTRPG content on the internet is. What percentage of that is like your knowledge from playing the game and doing this for years and, and being a part of the community and all that kind of stuff? And how much of it is research? Because, you know, I know that like everyone, we, we have gaps in places and things like that. So how much do you find, like, what's the percentage for your videos that, that you find going about that? And how do you go about researching all that stuff? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I would probably say, I'd probably say like about 70% experience. Um, <laughs> And I, I feel like the bulk of the research is me like double checking myself, you know, mm, like because yeah. you know, I've been playing this game for a long time since like 1983. So um, like I have a lot of things that I remember about the hobby mm. and, you know, and then I have to like go in and research and like when exactly what year did that happen? And, mm. you know, is, you know, and there's also like there's a lot of stories in the hobby, too, um, you know, like. You know, you mentioned Gary Gygax, and you can open up a whole can of worms of people talking about all the different stories they've heard about Gary and his opinions on the game and his relationship with Dave Arneson and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, and so, so some of that research is like, how true are these stories, and how you know what is the how how close can I get to like the accurate you know pieces of these information. Mm. Um, you know, and like one of the like one of the controversial bits people always mention is like the how Pathfinder outsold fourth edition D and D, and I was recently doing a deep dive on that, trying to figure out how exactly true that is. Mm. Um, that's something that's another thing you hear thrown out in the hobby space. So I feel like, I guess, I guess the bulk of my research is kind of fact checking myself before I mm. put it out there for everybody to hear. Hundred percent, and I, I did that the other day. Actually, uh, you know, I, I find myself as a GM often. You know, when I'm when I'm writing content or or homebrewing something, I'll, I'll be checking my uh, my almost D and D vocabulary with the with the you know the core source books. You know, of like the other day, I was like, oh yeah, it's called threatened space when you're when you're in someone's like thing before you provoke an opportunity attack. I go in and read it. And it's like reach. I was like, oh, I just made that up. I to totally <laughs> just made that one up. So it's a, it seems like more journalistic type uh, type um, like research, almost like you said, like fact checking, like investigating. Yeah, exactly. Checking validity of things mm. as opposed to, you know, diving into actually discovery kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. What were you going to say? No, Sorry. I was just, I, I appreciate the, the fact that you, you seem to value the 
the game itself and the history of the game itself, but also the lore around the game seems to right. have, you know, a, 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 an equal amount of interest or, or certainly there's elements of that in there. Um, well, I guess first question is, so Pathfinder versus fourth edition, what, what did you find? Yeah, great question. Um, I couldn't find any evidence to actually support that, uh, that Pathfinder definitively outsold fourth edition. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that was, um, because like, that's something I've, I've believed and I've heard people say for years and I was like, mm. how true is that? Before I put yeah. that in the video, how true is that? And I, and, um, the closest thing I could come is there was a, there was survey research, um, that, uh, it, <laughs> that would rank the top five RPGs every quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that survey research was based on reports from game stores. Mm. So that was the that was the best source for the fact that Pathfinder was outselling uh, Fourth Edition. <clears throat> is that based on these surveys, the game stores were saying they were selling more Pathfinder product than Fourth mm. Edition product. Um, but you know, as we know, survey research is not always the most reliable because you're only surveying a certain portion. You're not you know surveying every person who owns a game store to get that you know that data. Yeah, um, but it is something. I mean, it is a data point. Uh, I mean, yeah, but we can definitely, we, yeah. We can say uh, we can pull out the old. You know, you got your two stamps on the desk. We can pull out the myth stamp and hit that <laughs> one, slide that file over, and and move on to the next thing, dude. That's it's super awesome. I love that you're you know like going into these things and wanting to make sure because. Here's something else that I feel like happens on the internet a lot. I feel like we get a lot of people who think they know a lot about what they're mm. talking about. And, you know, like I, I literally last night ran a workshop in our D&D server um, for how to make combat more immersive in D&D 5e. And, you know, I have my tips and tricks and tools that mm. I've picked up over the years. Um, but, you know, that also then required me to do, you know, a couple days of research to make sure that I came with you know, things that are maybe a bit more general and then things that are kind of underground stuff that people are advising Mm. people to do. And I think, you know, often, like I said, like, it feels like a lot of people are like, I've been doing this for 35 years. I know everything there is to know about this, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, often cases, a lot of that is either dated information or stuff that isn't, you know, relevant to the topic you're talking about, or, you know, you're, you're, you're pulling up facts that aren't 100% accurate and things like that. And so, I appreciate that your content is almost fact-checked. That mm-hmm. that that is something that is, yeah. I value a lot in 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 that very much because, like I said, I feel like that's hard to find. I don't feel like you know, and it's hard to know whether creators are fact-checking themselves or not, or whether they're mm-hmm. just spewing whatever shit they want to say on the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. I, I, it's it's hard to know the balance between people like that and 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 what to kind of get. So no, I, I super appreciate that you're fact fact-checking stuff. That makes me makes me super happy. <laughs> What's a, what so around the lore around D D, if there was one thing that you're like, oh, that is a juicy bit of knowledge that you know that's <laughs> that I always circle back to. I wonder whether it's true or not or whatever, but what if there was one or a couple things that are at the top of your mind when you think about the lore of the history of D D, not the game itself, but around the game, the, not mm-hmm. not necessarily the traditional Gygax split and all of that, but anything else that comes to mind. Um, I'm always fascinated by the, like the, the humorous and like, you know, the odd tidbits that come into the lore out of like practical necessity, like real life necessity that ended up creating lore in the game. Right. Mm -hmm. 
like um like back in the day they didn't have a lot of you know monster miniatures um because mm. you know the game evolved out of war games which were largely historic based so it mm. was easy to find knights and you know uh soldiers and those type of miniatures but um there was a collection of like kids toys like these little kid monster toys um that apparently gary used to use in his games and some of those odd i think they were like if i'm remembering right, they were like made in korea and they were just like these little plastic monsters um and it's those plastic monsters that became the the owlbear and the rust monster and the and the boulet the you know the the land shark creature um so those monsters and the lore associated with them evolved out of necessity because Gary was using these little plastic figures in his game and then needed to come up with a explanation for what these weird looking monsters were. That's super well, weird little I, Korean I, toys that are they're mishmashes of animals. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've never, never even heard that back. That's super, super interesting. And do you know, I feel like um, that happens in a, in a lot of things. Um, across the world. I feel like we do that with a lot of stuff as humans, you know, uh, hilariously, we said before this, we weren't going to go into war. I'm not going to mention any wars, but war is one of those things where in life, out of necessity, we technology advances dramatically mm. because of that real life stuff, you know, because of those things and out of necessity, we do that. So, you know, things like I, I know VTTs really blew up, you know, over lockdown and we, you know, over, right. over the COVID situation, suddenly, everyone and their mom was making a VTT and, uh, you know, was, was trying to bring a digital platform to the forefront out of right. the necessity of the fact that we couldn't be together, you know, in a lot of countries, you know, people were not allowed to socialize in that mm. way. So, you know, you're totally right. It's evolved the game in ways that, you know, I, I assume, you know, prior, prior mm. to a lot of that stuff, we had never even considered would go down that line, that evolutionary route. You know? mm. Right. Yeah. It, well, and the, comparing that to like, to the history of the game, if we had had a global pandemic back when fourth edition came out, mm -hmm. uh, fourth edition probably would have been tremendously successful. Mm. Uh, because, they, because the original pitch for fourth edition is that we're, we're streamlining the game and we want it to be accessible and we want to be able to build a virtual tabletop. Like they were actually working mm -hmm. on a virtual tabletop for fourth edition. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that never came out because they um, didn't need to. Yeah. Well, because the game, the fourth edition wasn't as popular. And yeah. also because there was a lot of pushback mm. uh, from indie fans that didn't want to play it online. Mm. Um, and now, you know, fast forward, you know, what is it? 15 years. And we're like, yeah, more people play online than in person these days, I think. Hundred percent. You know, I've, I've got to ask you a question because I've seen in a lot of your videos, and you you often reference a lot of uh, you know the the modules, you know, whether it be settings or you know like campaign books or things like that. Um, and you know, at this point, there there's a little bit of controversy in in, in the space. You know, we talked about a couple of controversial you know things so far already in this podcast, but. Uh, the, the controversy around what C at the moment and the damage that they did during the OGL stuff, you know, the the, the kind of ripple effect that happened, um, you know, after the whole OGL, you know, trying to, you know, 
basically capitalize on a market and trying to, you know, kind of screw over third party creators and things like that. I'm super interested to know, like, how did you fall on that? Because I know a lot of your content is centered around, you know, stuff that they do and, and things like that. So how do you feel at this point? Like, are you, are, are you like, you know, like, fuck Watsy? Are you like, you know, ah, you know, I, I'll take them or leave them, you know, like, well, where's your headspace at this point? Yeah, it was um, it was the OGL was a weird time because I was just launching the channel when all that, you know, shit hit the fan. Right. Hmm. Um, and so it was, it was like I couldn't ignore the fact that it was happening. So like my first few videos, of course, I had to talk about it because it was just it was odd to be coming into YouTube D&D space at the same time as the OGL debacle. Right. Yeah. Um, I think like. Everything else in in history is just going to go down as another phase of D and D's development. Mm. Um, you know, the because what happened with the OGL is really not that different um, than what happened with like second edition. Um, there was you know back when first edition was you know as popular as it was you know thanks to the Satanic Panic and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, Gary Gygax moved out to Los Angeles and was trying to get TV shows produced and a D&D movie produced way back then. Mm. Um, so when second edition came out, there was a lot of people that were like, well, this is just a cash grab. This is just, you know, so a lot of the things that people said, you know, and with every edition change were said back at second edition. Um, yeah. And also, you know, the you know, towards the end of the TSR era before Watsy, you know, bought D&D from TSR, TSR was trying to do a lot of things, you know, yeah, in a similar vein to what Hasbro is trying to do now. How do we make more money off of this game? Yeah. Right. And, you know, so it's, it's really, I think in retrospect, like 10 years from now, we're just going to see that as just another step in this mm. D&D story. Um, and with each of those steps, like there's been good things that have come to the hobby, mm. um, because like third edition and the, you know, the creation of the OGL in the first place was a huge expanse for the hobby. Um, like I remember going to game stores, you know, back when the, the D20 system was a new thing and everybody mm. was making a D20 game. Mm. Um, you know, so third edition, and the the OGL was great for the hobby in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, and I would say uh, from a game design standpoint, I think fourth edition was good for the hobby that it, in the sense that it gave us like new direction to go with game design. I personally wasn't a fan of fourth edition. It didn't feel like D&D to me. Mm. Um, but because the because the classes all worked on the same mechanics. Mm. Uh, it didn't feel like there was enough distinction between classes for my preference, right? But I recognized that the game was actually a well-designed game. Mm. And that, <clears throat> and I think that opened up space for new avenues in game design, mm. you know? So, and you, and you can continue that thread on through um, kind of the whole history of D&D. You see where, you know, when like TSR folded, right? And then when fourth edition didn't, you know, do as well as they thought. Um, and then the rise of Pathfinder, right? Um, 
And now with this OGL, we've seen the rise of, you know, a lot of other games. Like, I don't yeah. know if I don't as much as I love the game Shadow Dark, I don't know if that would have been as successful if it wasn't for the OGL debacle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's a great game and um, it definitely deserved the attention it got. But I don't know if it would have received that much attention if people weren't pissed off at Watsy, you know, yeah. when it released. Right. So I think in the grand scheme of things, it's just going to be another step in the process, another evolution of the hobby, another evolution of the game design space. Yeah, it makes sense. If that all yeah. makes sense. It does. And it it it, it um, opens wow. up some curiosity for but, me. But the real question is, how do you feel about Watson? <laughs> <laughs> how do I feel about them? Yeah. Um, I mean, ultimately, Watsi is is a company that's owned by you know, by a larger company, right? Yeah. And that company is beholden to shareholders. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what that means is that Watsi can't be happy, you know, just making money. Yeah. They have to constantly be making more money. Mm. And that's that's the problem when you open up to um being publicly traded. Yeah. So and so that's just the nature of the beast of being owned by a public publicly traded company. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, because if Watsi was just a company with a couple dozen employees and they were netting a profit of a couple million dollars a year, they could be happy with that. Mm. Yeah. I think most of us would be happy with that. <laughs> Owning a company that had a profit of a couple million dollars a year, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I would be. I would be happy making $2 million profit every year for the rest of my life. Mm. My company was that successful. Yeah. Right. But Watsi can't just be happy making a couple million dollars a year. Because yeah. they, they have to, you know, this year has to be better than last and next year has to be better than this. That's the nature of being owned by a publicly traded company. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really, mm. really solid point. Yeah. If we, if we, if we take this, I, I really appreciate your historical knowledge of D and D, and so that's a great reference point. Just look forward a little bit, and if we look at one D and D, I'm not sure how much you have been part of the playtesting or aware of it or what have you. But I know there's there's generally um, some changes that. I'm sorry, there's there's more specific granular changes within the system. But if you looked at it, if you just took a general perspective. How do you think generally it will change the experience from 5e to 1D&D, and I'll, the player experience? And I'll add something to that. How do you think it's going to stack up against not just 5e, but previous editions as well? Um, I, I think it, it feels to me, and I, I'm a little bit disappointed by it, but mm. it feels to me like it's, it's going to be kind of a natural evolution of the game. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of their innovative ideas that they had in some of the um, first playtest packets, mm. uh, they, they've done away with. And they they really seem to have narrowed the goal down to we are refining fifth edition to make fifth edition a better fifth edition. Mm. Right. There's not a goal here to be super innovative or add new ideas. Um, 
And I get that from, again, a money-making standpoint, mm-hmm. right? Because that's risky. Yeah. Because they were very innovative. Mm-hmm. What's that? I said, sorry, I just said, Tom, you just piss less people off. hundred percent. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause they, they were very innovative with third edition and a lot of people liked it. And it was the most popular edition up until that time. Right. Mm-hmm. 3.5 kind of made it better. Um, and so, but then they were very innovative when they went from 3.5 to fourth edition and, you know, they lost market share, right. They, they they yeah. they reduce their audience because mm-hmm. people not as many people like those particular innovations. Mm-hmm. Um, so, from a Hasbro standpoint, it makes sense that you know we're getting basically a a five point five. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. From a Watsi standpoint, I would imagine that like guys like Jeremy Crawford and um, the rest of the design team. They probably want to kind of like really open up the engine and, you know, tinker around and upgrade a lot of things. Yeah. But, um, but I think they're kind of, yeah, they're kind of handcuffed by the fact that fifth edition is so popular that they don't want to change too much. Mm, Yeah. Uh, You can, I can appreciate, you know, the, the, the quandary they're in. you, You can kind of, understand i'm sure there's people internally that are frustrated um, yeah totally you know you, you, they're just playing a different game right well, i mean if you're a private company you can you can try to be bold and and move things and and kind of make a quantum leap uh you know a, a step level change and something in, to improve it but it is too risky to do that when you've got shareholders and if the share price dips you know then those people inside the organization start looking behind their back and saying oh oh is that my job and so you know mm. it comes down to a personal yeah. decision of like do i personally want to stick my neck out and risk this no let's pull back let's make it conservative let's make it a little bit easier a little bit more accessible and um and see what that does with the market but you know yeah. baby steps yeah that's a good point yeah that's a super yeah. good point well I like, and, what, I like what you both said so so to the original question i think I think what we're going to get is a better version of 5e. Like mm-hmm. now that now that they seem to have settled on this is what we're doing. We're just really just tuning up 5e. We're not getting super creative. Um like the last couple play tests I've actually really liked. Like okay, this addresses certain problems with 5th edition. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be I I think a better version of 5th edition. What's the one thing like- that you look at in a difference between 5e and 1D&D that you or 5.5 let's call it <laughs> that you think is the the biggest uh improvement between the two systems yeah what's something you're looking forward to across them um well i i just happened to be looking at the the healing spells that just came out in the new packet and um, it's a, a relatively minor changes, but I think the impact will be that it will make in combat healing um, much more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a small change, but I think that will ultimately improve gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do like some of the ways they've dialed back certain classes and improved others, like dialing back the Moon Druid and... Um, tuning up the ranger and the monk those are things we've known we've needed for a long time yeah yeah so i yeah. think all of those things are going to be improvement 
I'm kind of skeptical on the um the new weapon stuff, the weapon, I forget what they call it, the weapon styles or whatever. Mm. Okay. Um like I want to like that, but as a player, I'm like, that sounds really cool. But as a DM, I'm like, is that gonna slow down the game? Mm. Yeah. Having these extra fiddly bits in combat. So that's that's something that could be a hit or miss. We'll mm. just have to wait and see on that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Dude, like I I love a lot of what you're saying right now. It's stuff that I think, you know, anyone who's listening who is, you know, kind of umming and eyeing about where they go from here, what's the plan, you know, do they hop system? Do they, you know, there's the I, I always, you know, Tom and I even said early days, we were like, when the OGL stuff went down, we were like, um, we're probably still going to play D&D. We're like, you know, mm. wh- whether we like stream it or write content for it will be another matter, but we'll probably still play D&D, you know? And also in the same way that, you know, I, I watch, uh, you know, uh, you know, fogies online being like, I want my 3.5 back, you know, <laughs> and like things like that. I'm like, I'm like, okay, I, I get it. But in the same way, like when one does come out or 5.5, whatever they want to call it, I will definitely you know, invest in trying to learn the new system and trying to, you know, move with the times because I think it's important to, you know, do that and, and to, to kind of see where, see where the, the, the kind of trends are going, understand the, the, the game space and and the game landscape as well. Um, It'll inform our business decisions. It it will inform our business decisions. It definitely freaking well, 100%. Mm. Like there's no way it won't do. Mm. Um, You know, we, we mentioned, you know, the, the, modules and things like this and 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 in your videos you discuss a lot of them i was recently watching your um your like what's a good place to like kind of get started into to dnd stuff and you mentioned some really good modules and you talk about a bunch of stuff and um i just wanted to ask you because for me i we did lost minds of Foundelver as freaking everyone does as it as it is right. so as it feels uh and we we did that um coming up to three years ago now and the moment I'd finished with Lost Minds of Fandelver, I just couldn't ever pick up another module again. I really, really struggled to, I don't know, like get into the 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 kind of storytelling that that they're wanting me to tell with these modules. And, you know, and and it felt like you had to read every aspect of this book to be able to understand the plot that you're trying to put your players on and you're trying to like the direction you're trying to go. And like, you have to read the whole fucking thing and retain all of that information to be able to deliver what I would consider, you know, a very good version of one of those modules. You know, I've, I've been in a curse of Strahd campaign that was in my opinion, fucking terrible because they, the the GM just was struggling with the amount that was there. Like there was just so much to try and handle and to try and do. And, you know, it, it almost felt like rather than playing a, a game of D&D, they were doing one of those classic comic books where it's like, turn to this page if you want to follow this story and turn back to this page if you follow that. So I know for me, I, I went to homebrew. I like, I straight away went to homebrew. As soon as we finished Lost Minds, I was like, I need to create something that I'm familiar with, that I like, that You're motivates me, about. that I'm passionate about. You know, that might also be my neurodivergent, like ADHD kind of mind of like, I need to be passionate about what I'm doing and not have someone else's passion be the thing that mm. I'm trying to consume. But I wanted to ask, you know, you, you talk a lot about the modules, your knowledge about these modules is quite extensive. And I can tell, you know, you've read them, you've put some time into them. Where do you sit on like the, the, the module to homebrew kind of scale both within your games and also kind of what you advise people to do and thoughts. 
Yeah, well, I spent the bulk of my time playing D&D, making my own, you know, worlds and my own adventures. Um, you know, I, I also have ADHD and it was just it was much easier for me to make up my own stuff than sit down and read a bunch of somebody else's content. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it wasn't really until um, like, what was it, like 2018, I think, when the local game store asked me if I would you know, run some run some games for them for uh they called it adventures league but it wasn't like they didn't strictly follow the adventures league rules Mm -hmm. um but they wanted me to run you know whatever the new hotness was right so like yeah uh so like i ran i ran um what was the the dragon dragon uh, ice water deep yeah water deep dragon heist and um Baldur, the Baldur's Gate one in Avernus. Yeah, Descent uh, into Avernus, yeah. Ghost of Salt Marsh. Yeah. So I ran all of those books. Um, and I think, you know, having run my own content for so long, it then became easier for me to pick up somebody else's content and run it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't recommend folks start. I actually just did a, my video that just came out this week. I don't recommend people start with those big, Hardback yeah, book. Totally. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's much better to start with the smaller adventures. Like I think the box set adventures are, you know, are great. Um I, I really like Ghosts of Salt Marsh. I really like the uh the anthology books like Tales of the Awning Portal and Radiant Citadel. I haven't run the Radiant Citadel stuff, like I haven't run that stuff yet, but um I've read it and I liked it. Um but I, I like the idea of you know, shorter, more concise products that you can then take and kind of stitch together to make your own, you know, campaign. Yeah. So you can you can homebrew your world and then like, okay, well, I'm going to put Fandelver, in, you know, on this mountain range in my world. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a, that's a super interesting way to do it. A combination of almost the Sandover is kind of condensed. It's yeah, not a, it's not a massive map. It's so not can... super expansive at all. Yeah, it's a really really good point. Wanted to ask, you know, you mentioned that you really liked Ghost of Saltmarsh. Um, is that the the campaign aspect? Like, obviously, you know, Tom, Tom and I come from a place where, um, <laughs> sadly, there's there's a little bit of hate here for w- with us for. Things like Ghost of Saltmarsh, uh, Spelljammer, um, you know. It's a strong word. Hey, no, it's not. Um, (laughs) And and Descent into Avernus as well. Um, You know, for me, we our homebrew world is set in a land of floating islands. Like we we very quickly started with, you know, cool. How do you get from one island to another? And it was like, huh. There's not really any rules for this anywhere. And I kind of started with Ghost of Soul Marsh and then checked out Spelljammer and, you know, Descent to Avernus and older things like Wildjammer and like, you know, things that had existed prior to and and kind of um, went into the, some of those areas. And I, I just had such a such a huge issue with the vehicle stuff in it that I, I don't know. Was your experience better running Ghost of Salt Marsh with with the vehicles and things like that? Did you did you find it worked easier for yourself? I I actually didn't use the vehicle stuff in Ghost of Salt Marsh. Um, that explains it. There we go. That's where we had a good time. <laughs> there That's we where go. we had a good we time. We can now move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the um what what I found good about 
Ghosts of Saltmarsh is that the 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 individual like dungeon adventures mm-hmm. are very loosely connected. Yeah. So, so there's not like a pressure, like you were saying before, with Curse of Strahd to like figure out the story and you know yeah. character motivations and all that sort of stuff. Um, what what I what I liked about Ghost of Saltmarsh is I felt it was more modular, and nice. you could you could fill in the gaps between adventures with your own stuff. Um, and I ran Ghosts of Saltmarsh more like um, like Lovecrafty and Eldritch Horror. Like Ooh, I, I focus because none of the dungeons are actually underwater, really. Mm. Um, yeah. I, so so I just kind of I just kind of hand waved the travel. Um, and just focused yeah. on, I just focused on the dungeons and try to make, you know, trying to make them more like creepy, love crafty and dungeons. Cause I think that the adventure leans more towards that. Yeah. The way it's written than the way it was marketed. It was marketed as swashbuckling adventure, which mm. is really not, it's a bunch yeah. of seas. It's a bunch of seaside adventures, but mm, the, yeah. the actual adventures don't contain a lot of like cool travel and swashbuckling and all you have to. You have to do that kind of part yourself. So I just did some marketing. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> this swashbuckling at adventures. Where have we heard that before? Bastards. How <laughs> dare that. And, and love, for, for, I'm not sure how Lovecraft love is like uh, Cthulhu and things like yeah, that. Yeah. Big, big tentacle, eldritch, yeah, nasty, yeah. nasties. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's super, super dope. And you know, I, I've I've heard I've actually heard lots of people say that they enjoy the adventures in Ghost of Soul mm. Marsh. That's something I have heard consistently across the community is that those are good adventures to run and that they are uh, fulfilling for uh, parties of both experienced and non-experienced players as mm. well. That they that they are actually good jumping off points as well as also good uh, you know points for people who have been doing this for a while who just haven't experienced some of that stuff. Um, in that kind of manner so you know yeah i i definitely hear you on that for sure yeah for sure where are you with vtt's um i i play in person so i i've only i've only used vtt's sparingly um Mm -hmm. i i never run a game uh Mm -hmm. with a vtt i've Mm -hmm. uh i've played in games where other people um were running them and it's for me, it's it's a good enough experience. Like if like during the pandemic, when you had mm. no other choice, like, OK, this is how we're playing D&D now. Mm. Um, but I've not met a VD, VTT that really captured, you know, what I wanted out of a D&D experience. Um, here, here. Yeah. And so I, I am fortunate enough to have, you know, this whole room is dedicated to Dungeons and Dragons. Um, does so this does is the room my, have a name? <laughs> I, the Dire Den, I guess. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, love it. Um, so yeah, so it's like, you know, all, all my monster miniatures are up on this wall over here and all those like storage boxes behind me are full of terrain and stuff like that. And so I, I run a very tactical, not like, not tactical, well, kind of tactical. Tactile tactile game yeah. right with yeah. um with you know with miniatures and 3d yeah. terrain and all that sort of stuff yeah. um, we're, we're kind of with you man um i mean we we do uh play we use, v, we use vtt's for battle maps but we typically even in person we'll use them for battle maps because 
money for terrain <laughs> and uh, and and things like that is 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 a wild one but uh, but we do use we do yeah. for that other than that we don't use them we well do theater of the mind we, a lot we do and also just like the virtual game is something we it is part of our you know our gameplay we have uh, a, an actual play that has remote players that we started almost uh coming up to two years now uh, in the spring but so that's a, you know sort of a, a necessity but i'm with you as far as like the the in-person experience is better it just is oh, and i don't know i don't know how a vtt will ever get there like you know there's can. i don't, I don't either can. i just think like there's you know there's nonverbal you know communication there's body language there's mood there's um there's raising and lowering the volume of your voice that means something in person there's you know there's all of these different dynamics that it's it just you know there's so much investment in vtts that, and so much like hope that that is because that unlocks everything right if 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 vtts can really get it right then it goes from this you know, very small centralized experience which is very local to just the people that you know in your area that play D&D that might be friends that you can schedule on a you know it becomes a very very narrow funnel of people to oh by the way let's just open it up to a billion people potentially because <laughs> everyone can play with everyone in theory that sounds amazing if you're a business and just the the, reckon, the potential all that you reckon one seventh of the planet plays D&D no 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 I'm just saying I'm saying like <laughs> as a, as I don't like, think it's a bad guess you know to, to, to be honest with you I don't think that's I guess a bad my, guess my point was like in the boardroom of Hasbro mm. or whatever other VTT they're thinking if we can unlock this if we can get this right just think of the increased market share it's, in, it's exponential right yeah yeah right. But, but the actual application is shoddy so far. it's shoddy and tricky like yeah. you know i don't know like maybe you put if you could put on like um haptic suits is it hap oh mate that maybe that's fucking cool that maybe vir like, virtual reality <laughs> D, &D. maybe um, i that guess that should be kind of cool you know i i've never thought about doing a or vr dnd table what about the metaverse doing it in the yeah metaverse. yeah that's what i mean like like a vr you're put, like put put yeah, the uh yeah, put yeah, the goggles yeah. on and everyone uh everyone be sat at a you like sit at your own table that with your own stuff. It. Yeah, but anything that, less than that, and I, I'm not even convinced that would do it. But anything less than that feels like it's less than in person to me. Yeah, I would agree. How, how long does it take you to set up your terrains and shit? Because you know you see videos online of Matt Mercer sat for like two, three hours before a you know before a, a session. You know, putting together these incredible battle maps for his players and things like that. Is Mercer doing it, or is it the 50 people no, that work? Right. Is no, it really? It's it's him. He but he's to get people to make them for him. Uh, I'm sure he's collecting. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I mean, yeah, to a degree. I'm sure <laughs> some of those pieces are being made for him. in the same way that uh, Dimension Twenty, ninety percent of Dimension 20's like models and things that they have made are actually being made by a company a for shop. a specific yeah for That's a specific it, uh, thing, as opposed to taking what are like terrain pieces and being like, I want some stairs here, so I'm going to take my stairs from this map yeah. and I'm going to then take a doorway from this map and you know, yeah, put, yeah. which is what Matt does a little bit more. Yeah. How, how long does it take you to set up your terrains and your, your battle maps? Um, I probably, I probably spend maybe, maybe 30 minutes set, setting up before a game session. I, um, I intentionally have just use dungeon tiles. Okay. So I yeah, have, yeah. so I don't, I don't use like Dwarven Forge where the, they have the walls and all that sort of stuff. Because mm -hmm. get, getting the walls to line up and figuring all that out is um, 
longer. you know, it takes a lot longer. <laughs> um, and, and, and I also find that like the, the, the Dwarven Forge, like or the walls kind of block your line of sight. So people are doing this the whole time trying to see over. Mm, yeah. Right. So I just use the, the flat dungeon tiles that I lay out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also allows me to do fog of war that way. So I'll, just lay I'll, paper I'll, over it. Well, no, I just I just pick I, I'll lay out the dungeon. I'll take a picture of it with my phone and then I pick up most of the tiles. Oh, nice. Okay. Oh. And then so as the players explore the dungeon, I'm like, OK, here's this room. And I set down two or three tiles. So, you know, for this room and this hallway. So I'm kind of cool. like setting it out in pieces so mm. that it keeps the fog of war and it's quick and easy. Um, not having the walls and stuff like that. Um, how, how much of it are you, because, you know, you, you're talking about the tiles and things like that, and I know you can get tiles of, like, the tops of trees and, like, you know, the a bed to put in your room and things. How much are you adding, like, the, what I would call, like, flourish tiles, mm-hmm. I guess, on top of, you know, just the base ground of, like, this is a room. It's 30 feet by 40 feet, and here's the the, the squares of this room. How much are you adding, like, the other bits? Like, the and there's a table, and there's a chair, and there's a, you know, there's a goblet over here, and things like that. Yeah, it depends. It depends on the mood I'm going for. Mm. Like, if I'm doing pretty much a straight-up dungeon crawl, right? Um, like, right now, I'm doing Sunless Citadel. Uh, mm. And most, like, in that case, most of the rooms are just, you know, this giant citadel. So they're all, you know, effectively kind of the same type of architecture in every room, right? Um, but I did uh, one of the uh, one of the adventures from um, the the box set, the the White Dragon box set, um, drawn uh, the essentials kit. Um, where they the the adventure is called Nomengrad, and they go into this little like gnome fortress and they're looking for a shape changer like mm-hmm. the the gnomes someone's someone's been murdered and they, somebody saw some shape changer kill one of the gnomes so the investigation is to go in there and find the shape changer right mm-hmm. well the shape changer is a mimic Ooh. So, so the gnomes call it a shape changer. So that immediately conjures up in the player's mind, like, you know, like a lycanthrope or a, you know, doppelganger or something like that. Um, so when I ran that one, I took the extra time to put in all the furniture. Mm. Right. And I have yeah, a bunch sure. of little three, 3D furniture that I can set on top of the 2D tiles. Right. Um, okay. So in that case, I put in all the furniture because they were going to be hunting a mimic. So the furniture was important. Yeah. Um, so when they got attacked necessity. by... Yeah. Out of necessity. Mm. Yeah. So when they got attacked by the kitchen cabinet, um, there was actually a kitchen cabinet on the table. <laughs> Love that. Love that so, so much. Um, that's super, super interesting that, you know, you... For, first of all, um, I've, I've, I've never heard of that that adventure working like that, but um, I, I've never uh, dove into that adventure of in that Essentials box set. Uh, that sounds like a real fun adventure. Um, also, I love the twist that it's a, a mimic. That's super fun. Uh, we, we were talking about combat encounters the other day in, um, in, in this workshop that I was running, and just uh, I, I really enjoyed hearing we ran like a little like activity where people could create a combat encounter and give us, you know, something that's a little bit diverse and different with some of the advice that we've given them. 
And just hearing the way that, you know, people's minds work to, to create those surprise moments of like, you think it's a shape changer and you're expecting the moment you said shape changer, I was like, ah, it's a werewolf or, you know, a, you know, a, you know, like you said, lycanthrope or, you know, doppelganger or, you know, changeling or, you know, something like that. That's, that's kind of altering their, their physical look. I, I would have never, I literally would have never bet in a million years that it would have been a mimic. So I think that's, that's a super nice little twist on a classic kind mm. of idea. Um, with a really nice red herring there of of the language that is used to to, to do that. That's mm-hmm. super dope. Love that. Mm. Super super love that. Yeah, um, dude. That's. It sounds like you're building these beautiful trains. It sounds like you've got this amazing kind of game space that you're you're operating in. Um, how often are you GMing versus playing? Like, are you a forever GM, or are you are you someone who likes to dabble playing as well? Uh. F- up until recently, I've pretty much been the free, forever GM. Um, mm. and, and that's one of the things that also kind of um, gives me some comfort with the with like the the unknown about, you know, Watsy and 5.5 and all that sort of stuff is because I've got two of my players who now want to DM. So mm. one of my players, she, she's very interested in in running fifth edition and or 5.5 when it comes out. So as she DMs, um, she's learning to DM on fifth edition right now mm-hmm. where one of my other players has started DMing and he's, he's running shadow dark cause he really likes the old school feel. Cool. Um, and so if the two of them continue to do that and I, and I'm not beholden to running fifth or 5.5, um, that's going to allow me to run some different games. So hopefully between the three of us, we'll, we'll get a good mix of games in our game group. That's, that's the direction I hope we're going. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. That's and by different games within the D&D system or different games outside in, in other TTRPGs. Yeah, other TTRPGs. Like I, I ran a one-shot. Uh, it was like a cyberpunk-themed one-shot using ICRPG. Um, they're, uh, what is, it, what is it called? Um, I forget the name of it, but ICRPG has a specific cyberpunk version, um, mm. and that's that's what we that's what I ran. Um, I've run um, Professor DM's Eldritch Hack the last okay. two Halloweens. Nice. Um, I ran the Cloak House adventure that comes with the Eldritch Hack, you know, game that he published you know, two Halloweens ago, and this this year I ran my own adventure using that Eldritch hack system. Um, So, yeah, so been experimenting with some, some rules, light variants out there. Um, And that was the other deep on D and D. I was, I was going to ask. Yeah. How do you feel? Yeah, exactly. How do you feel about, do you feel like you're cheating? (laughs) Cheating on your, cheating on your number one. (laughs) Not at all. Um, Because I mean, because growing growing up on role playing games, right? Like when we were kids, um, I feel like I, I feel like we're in a renaissance right now of TTRPGs. Like because of the pandemic and because of the popularity of fifth edition, there's this big resurgence. Um, but I grew up in the initial like surge of role playing games, mm. um, fresh off the heels of Satanic Panic, um, and you know TSR when they were at their most successful, um, you know, they were publishing a whole bunch of different games. Mm. Uh, so we played um, the, the Top Secret SI, which was like TSR's 
um, like James Bond style game. Mm, how awesome. And the uh, the Marvel superhero role playing game, oh. which we are actually I'm going to for for the holidays, I'm going to do a uh, a holiday themed one shot using that old Marvel superhero system from the 80s. That's awesome. Oh, that yeah. for friends or is that for family? Who 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 who's, who are you running that one for? For for my regular game group, like the the so, last two years, we've done the Halloween themed games, and those have been a big hit. So mm-hmm. so we're doing a a Christmas, a Christmas theme, one. yeah, nice. with uh, nice. with the Marvel superheroes RPG from the eighties. That's um, pretty uh, that's pretty timely in a weird way, right? I mean, you're you're circling back. What is it? For, what is it? Forty years, thirty five, forty years. But Marvel is you know it's it's kind of oh god, man. <laughs> can want marvel to just be done all i'm so sad i'm so sad man like how like the the crazy thing is for me you guys like and you talk about this all the time you guys grew up with like the og marvel which was you know comic book form you know old television shows you know like the the the, the more old school stuff i grew up with the you know the original iron man movie you mm. know with robert downey jr and you know the the what what everyone calls like phase 1 of of marvel basically and man it's just fucking painful to see where we're going at this point it just just hurts my soul you know mm. I, I like to to also remember like i and i'm sure you guys have this similar kind of nostalgia with things in your life that you know, have been revamped, you know, a thousand times or, you know, maybe a hundred Frankensteins deep at this point, you know, we're <laughs> 200 Draculas deep, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and all this different stuff. You know, I remember the first Iron Man movie. I remember seeing it in the cinema and I remember being just like mind blown by, you know, what they were able to do and the the plot and, and, and people being like, this is going to be a, people are being like, we're going to get a series out of this. Mm-hmm. We're going to see like multiple. And then they're like, and we're going to get Avengers. And mm-hmm. like, it just starts snowballing and just the pure, like, I don't know, nostalgia of that. Like, and it feels like we're losing a lot of that. You know, it, it feels very rare to me. And I think something you mentioned is this renaissance of RPGs at the moment that has kind of given me some of that nostalgia recently. Like we, we play a system called Orbital Blues, um, <laughs> which is um, a Cowboy Bebop kind of inspired um ttrpg uh sci-fi you know basically uh Very cyberpunky you know kind of vibe and like that felt so fresh it felt so new and yet you know again obviously using tropes that sci-fi has been the same since the 60s if we're honest um but you know i it felt so fresh and new to us when mm. we played it and it yeah. was just so unique and i i feel like we're in kind of that you know first you know, Marvel movie, first Iron Man's period of kind of the new wave of TTRPG and this new like space of TTRPG yeah, that's yeah. kind of rippling outwards with things like, you know, Blades in the Dark really, you know, coming into play, you know, like you've got the One Ring, which is dominating some of the, you know, like LOTR stuff at the moment, you know, and you've got right. these kind of big players that are starting to like appear out of the woodworks and being like, you know, we're doing it as well and we're doing it different and we're doing it different. I feel lucky. I feel lucky to be in this time for for yeah. TTRPGs. I feel lucky to, you know, actually to have seen the pandemic go down and us get this kind of resurgence of sit around the table with your buddies and, and play some games, you know? Can I give you a counterpoint? Yeah, go for it. And, and this one might be, I'm not even sure, but it'll be interesting to hear what your reference is because Brad, I think your and my reference might be different, but let me give you kind of my perspective on Marvel. 
I actually, when Iron Man came out and when Spider Man came out, the comics, you no, the movies. Okay. The after first having read the comics when yeah. I was a kid, it kind of destroyed it. It lessened my own imagination of what those characters were. Like I had my own thing mm. that was very specific, just mm. based on you know the comic drawings. And my two my two guys were Iron Man and Spider Man, and I I mean like you just had this thing that was very very personal and close to you, and you're passionate about and all yeah, of that derpy Toby Maguire step in and yeah, just there was something about like just when I saw Robert <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. I was like that's not Iron Man. Like mm, I my yeah. my picture of Iron Man was like very very distinct, and I don't even know if any actor could have ever done my picture of my Iron Man. And by the way, my picture would have been different than you know. Everyone else's picture because it's very personal. Right. But did you? How, what was your experience with it? Were you like, oh, fucking Iron Man in in living color now, amazing? Or did you have that that little bit of a almost like a cognitive dissonance going on as well with when, when it happened? No, I, I can definitely relate to what you're talking about. I didn't have the cognitive dissonance with Spider Man and Iron Man because they they weren't my favorite comic books as a kid. But I definitely had that cognitive dissonance with the Fox X-Men movies. Okay. X-Men were my favorite characters. Yeah. And and so like Brian Singer's version of the X-Men, I'm like, these aren't my X-Men. You know? So um, so I was excited when the first movie came out and I was like happy to see X-Men on the big screen, but it didn't feel like the X-Men to me. So I, I definitely had the same experience. Um, of that cognitive distance of like I want to like this, but mm. I don't. You yeah, know? yeah. Did you did you feel like you because were you I comics thought, were before you? I they thought, were st- still comics, but they weren't the go the only go to by the time you. So I've actually had that with a couple of different things, which is super interesting. So um, you you two things that were really big. So I'll, I'll mention three things that were massive for me that had weird cognitive distance. One was. When I when I was a kid, the Michael Keaton Batman was the one. When it was, you know, Jack Nicholson as the as the Joker, and it's kind of weird, kind of kooky, um, kind of a little bit more darker. Tim Burton, you know, kind of vibes, you know, mm-hmm. really, really. And that was my Batman. I still to this day go, you if you ask me who Batman is, it's fucking Michael Keaton. Like mm-hmm. it is not. It is definitely not. Sparkly vampire Robert Patterson. That is nowhere near my Batman. And so when I watch new. No George Clooney? No. No. God. Val Kilmer is barely, like, Val Kilmer barely touches it. Um, But so for me, that was a weird one of seeing those original ones and being like, wow, Michael Keaton, who has to like rotate his whole upper body because his neck is fused in one place. In his Batman suit as well, you know, <laughs> I picture <laughs> like like that's how I like pictured Batman, and so um, to then see you know Robert Patterson, who's this like decked out like army like Kevlar wearing Batman, who's I don't know, like it just feels weird. Um, and then I think the uh, the other two for me were you read to me when I was a kid. I'm super dyslexic, so I wasn't doing much reading as a child. Um, Tom and Tracy, my parents, both you, you guys would read to me a lot as a, as a child and you read to me the Lord of the Rings and you also read to me the like first five or six Harry Potter books. Mm. And I remember in my head, again, picturing these characters in a certain way and then seeing them actualize on screen and being like, what in the 
is this? Like, yeah, exactly. Lord of the Rings got it just a little bit closer, and I think, and I think it was so, so different from the source material that I could almost suspend reality. Where mm. Harry Potter, they tried to be, they tried to do eight movies that were so close to the source material, and it just felt like it was missing the mark so consistently mm. that I just really, really struggled with. You know, the plot line, or was it the characters? Like the depiction of Harry Potter. The depiction by of the characters. Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, the, the depiction of the characters. Like again, I come back to the hilarious references, uh, and I heard my. I was talking to my friend about this the other day, and he was like, you know, Frodo is just such a derp. Like Frodo is mm. just such a such a bitch and just such a loser in the movies. <laughs> like he just he just has nothing to offer these movies whatsoever. Mm. Where in the book, he's a lot less of that. He's a lot more like brave and he's a lot more, you know. He's more like Bilbo, isn't he? In yeah, the book? exactly. Yeah. He's yeah. a lot more kind of like filled with courage and wanting to like do something great. Do you mm. know what I mean? And he goes through ups and downs as opposed to just being fucking down the whole time. Mm. And, and I was talking to my friend and he was like, Harry Potter or Daniel Radcliffe's Harry Potter is one Patronus away from being uh, being Frodo. And I was like, that's so true. I was like, he's so useless. What a useless character. And yet in the book, he's this, you know, legendary person who mm. is who throughout the books does legendary things, mm. you know, and yeah. and yet he's actualized to just like kind of bit of a dude who's like, hey guys, you know, kind of thinking you're like, what is happening? So I definitely felt that um, mm. for sure, and it's it's a weird space to be in to to see how things have evolved. Kind of destroys we, your uh, your perception of it. Not only that, but just like that that beautiful connection. Like like it is such a personal connection when you yeah. in, when you have it, whether it's in a book or a comic book. Something that I mean, I just remember like how important Spider Man and Iron Man were to me in comic books, and to you, you know, your X Men relationship, the relationship you had with them was right. was was very personal right and and very distinct to like you know i would i would obsess about just like the costume and like what they were wearing and like what the boots looked like and what you know everything was just a thing for me and then it it that got ripped away a little bit when i saw them in the movies and it was just it just whether it was and, you know, in theory it wasn't worse it was just so different different adaptation. you know that was the thing yeah. yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird space to be in. Yeah, well, and I think just talking about like relationship to like a product or relationship mm -hmm. to characters, right? I think that is, you know, I think that fuels some of the the controversy and the you know the arguments, right? That we get in fandom, mm -hmm. right? Because people have these relationships with these fictional characters, or they have these relationships with these fictional worlds. Um, and then somebody comes in and does something different with their world. And now you like, fans are divided. Like, I mean, like the star Wars fandom is chaos oh right now. God. Cause it's a mess. Right <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally. Oh my God. But, yeah. I, yeah, I agree. But I, but I think the, again, going back to corporations trying to make money off of these products, right? Mm. Um, it, it's a hard balance to hit where you you do something that's interesting and new, but still hits the nostalgia button because they know that nostalgia button is what's going to make them money. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and so, 
like like Marvel, like you said, has, has struggled to do that. They're still trying to hit the nostalgia button. They're still trying to, you know, use that same formula that that worked through the first couple of phases of the MCU. Um, but but they're not doing it well anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that kind of factors back into you know tabletop RPGs as we're talking about like Watsy trying to make money off of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, they're marketing the brand of D&D, right? Because it hits the nostalgia button for so many people. And because yeah. it's an identity now for so many people. Um, a lot of people identify with Dungeons and Dragons as a brand. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they know that's how they can make money. But at the same time, you know, they, they come out with Spelljammer. And it's not like the Spelljammer we used to know. And it doesn't have vehicle combat rules that are you know, worth using, um, you know, Rock stick. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> and, and, the, and that just divides the fandom, right? Cause the, mm-hmm. like, cause there's new people in the fandom that are like, Hey, this is the new cool thing. It's spell jammer. Yay. And then there's a bunch of us who are like, no, nah, that's not spell jammer or, mm-hmm. you know, looking at the game design aspect and like, yeah, but it's not, it's not good game design. Right. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes divisive within the fandom. And I, and I think that's the hard part as a fandom grows is you have these diverse people with like different relationships to the brand or to the game or to their memory of the game. Right. Mm-hmm. And then that that creates this conflict and these, you know, flame war, wars that you <laughs> see online. Right. Yeah. You, do you know what? Do you know what? There's a common denominator between the three that we've mentioned, which I think is fucking hilarious. Now that I'm <laughs> is with Marvel, Star Wars, and D and D. I do not know why the decision has been, but like it seems like you know, ideas wise, you know, in a lot of these places, it all starts with ground level stuff that humans can really relate to we're like these are mutants who are just us they're people who are slightly different in x-men you know iron man is a dude in a suit who's fighting other people on earth Mm. you know and and you know in star wars it's like we're dealing with one galaxy where we have you know one empire who's doing something and the rebels who are trying to stop that you know kind of thing and then what they've all grown into is this expansive multiverse, you know, almost like, uh, you know, expansive extended universe thing, you know, where Marvel, it's now like, you know, we're in quantum realms and, and <laughs> the, the, the sacred timeline and the multiverse and, you know, and it's like, how is any of that tangible to me, Bodhi, who lives in freaking Bristol and <laughs> is like seeing a movie in the one day that I get off a week where I'm not too tired to like, you know, just sit and be a vegetable and, and or plan a D&D thing, you know? Right. Uh, it's the same thing with, you know, Star Wars, how, you know, Ahsoka just really blew up the whole like D&D, uh, the whole Star Wars space. They, it's no longer in a galaxy far away. We're in now in another galaxy far, far <laughs> Even away. further away. Yeah, exactly. So it's now, they're, they're expanding it into this whole bigger thing. And it's like, okay, I get that you're running out of ideas. So you're trying to go, well, let's go, let's go look at something new. Let's go like check out a new area of territory. 
But in the same breath, it's like you're losing some of what made it genuine. You know, we've just had D&D release Spelljammer, which is all about the astral plane. Mm. And we've just had them release Planescape, which is literally about like jumping from different planes and, you know, hopping. Don't get me wrong. In D&D, we've had Shadowfell. You know, we've had, you know, the Feywild. We've had all these different planes since the beginning. But again, each of them individually has been tangible, at least to people, where the moment you start making it this wide, expansive, and it gets so big that you're like... You can't hold on to it all. Yeah, it's just yeah. too much. And I think that's really becoming a problem in the creative space at the moment, is seeing people just go way above and beyond what people feel like they can connect to. That's when you get to like, you know, the 10th movie of, uh, of a series. It's, it's, it's Fucking just Transformers <laughs> 35, man. And Marky Mark is just tired and old. He's just like, I just want to rap again, bro. <laughs> I love that you still call him Marky Mark. That's fantastic. <laughs> dude, dude, to, to, all credit to Tom for that one. All credit to Tom for that one. That's how we remember him, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the uh, and that was actually part of TSR's downfall, mm. right? Part of it was some just really bad business management, from what I understand. But um, but part of it was because they started releasing all these different campaign settings, mm. right? Uh, and I know there's people who like love Dark Sun and who love Planescape and who love Spelljammer, mm. and I get that. But what it, that did was when they they had all of these and that was, you know, the Forgotten Realms were new back then. Right. And, yeah. you know, and then you had people who were like, no, Greyhawk is better than Forgotten Realms. Right. You yeah. had so many different campaign settings that it, it, it did become divisive. Like, mm. It was like, oh, you play in Forgotten Realms, that new crap. No, we we play the real D&D and in, in Greyhawk. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when, when Forgotten Realms and Greyhawk really aren't that different. <laughs> um, they're both like medieval fantasy yeah um, but uh but then like you know and so dark sun was kind of refreshing because that really was different right but then mm. that created a whole new you know a whole new campaign setting and so you know i think the wizards of the coast has to be careful mm -hmm. you know with diversifying too much with campaign settings or they recreate the problem they had in the TSR had in third edition or like really second edition going in. Yeah. Cause it was second edition TSR really was when all that was happening. Um, where there was, where you divided a lot of your fan base between all these different products, because, you know, if I'm loyal to dark sun and I'm playing in dark sun, I'm not going to go out and buy dragon Lance. Right. Yeah. Um, which actually the opposite was true for us. We love dragon Lance and we played in dragon Lance. So we never picked up any dark sun products. Mm. Um, and you know, and I knew people who were just the opposite that they love Dark Sun and they never bought a Dragonlance product, right? Mm. Um, so I think I think Watsi has been careful to not recreate that problem that they had in second edition. Um and and so they're I think that's why they've waited so late in the game to put out Spelljammer and play Planescape and Dragonlance because they didn't want to create that divide. So maybe maybe they're smarter than we think, like waiting to release all that at the end of fifth edition and then they're going to go into a new edition and that'll kind of, you know, reunite their core fan base. Mm. Bring out the bring on the Forgotten Realms again in, in, in one D&D &D and bring us all back to the bring us all back down to the ground. 
it's you know it's 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 a good point it's a good point like um you know hit hit and, and going into a new edition is a great time to hit the hard reset to to press the old you know like let, let's bring it back to re- reality fuck me uh it's barely real <laughs> um, but um you know um let's let's bring us back to you know tangible stuff and i think it's a, it's a real good time to do so so yeah if, if if there were a time and i agree it felt like to me like dragonlance just flopped when it came out it felt like i, I didn't hear anyone talking about it i didn't hear anyone being like you know spelljammer definitely had a bit more hype behind it because of the uh combat that they were they were you know kind of toting and and, and talking about in that but it feels like like you said that people are just like man it's too much like it, it it gets too wild it's too expansive like like you said mm-hmm. and it becomes you know just too many things and, and people fall in love with one sector of it and it's like it's actually really hard for me to move to go to like a whole nother thing do you know what i mean like it's way easier to genre jump than it is to jump within one genre to something that doesn't feel like something i trust know and love do you know what i mean yeah, like, right. yeah that makes sense the other thing is I think Watsi has a, a challenge in that I, I would think the higher ups are looking at the Stranger Things crowd oh, and being me. like, how do we get the casuals in here? Because God damn Stranger Things. If we can get the critical mass, like that changes the game for us, right? It goes from like yeah. whatever the marketplace is now and put an X in like, I don't know, five or something after that. Like if you get critical mass and you get like people playing Dungeons and Dragons like they play you know, some of the more GTA, some of the more popular video games. Mm. It, it's it's literally like a, you know, a big, big difference. But they also can't afford to let the previous generations go. So it can't be fully committed to the new generation to make it super, super easy and accessible because that right. pisses off this. Because then you start paying the nostalgia button, yeah. the, the folks who've been around since Jump Street. So they're trying to thread well. the needle and it's mm. tough, man. It's tough to, yeah. to like, keep the old school, the OGs like happy, but also make it as accessible as possible for people that don't really want crunch. They're used to playing Monopoly and they've heard of D&D, but anything more than like, you know, a little bit of mechanics, they get a little bit squeamish with. They're like too much. Yeah. So it's hard. It's a hard little. Do do you know what's interesting? I'm not sure if you've experienced this, Tom, yourself. I'm not sure if you've experienced this as well, Brad. Um, When people ask me, Bodhi, what do you do? And I'm like, um, I write, stuff for D, or I, I play dungeons and dragons and record it and and then i write stuff for D. and the <laughs> first of all i hate that question it's my least favorite question in the whole world because then i have to try and explain to people what dungeons and dragons <laughs> is but i find a large proportion of people because of stranger things and because of shows like that and and, and other you know pop culture things that you know you've got um you know joe mangianello uh you know raving about it you know you've got vin diesel who somehow is is you know deeply involved you know you've got vince vaughn and you know mm. all these other big people who are like talking about it and putting it out into the poster that almost 90 to i would say maybe 95 percent of the people who ask me what i do and then i then tell them that i do D are like oh that's super cool that's like the 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 dice rolling thing from like stranger things and like, <laughs> you know that kind of stuff and i'm like yeah yeah sure yeah yeah, yeah. You, you, nail on the head right there. um but in a weird way, it's nice because I then don't have to do the explanation that I have to give to people that are the generation above you, mm. which is like, 
what's a D and D? Explain how, <laughs> how do you win this game? You know, kind of thing. You're like, oh wow, we're going to be here for a while. Um, but it's also that whole thing of that comes that preconceived notion of like, oh, so you're like an Eddie Munson dungeon master. Do you do you wear a lot of leather and like rock music? And I'm like, well, yes, but that's not the point. Like, yes. But, I fall into a stereotype. I'm a bad example. There's other GMs that are very different to me you know, in, in, in that stereotype. So did you find that when, when you are telling people about D&D, when you're talking about that, that people seem to know a lot more these days? I do. And I, I definitely have gotten that Stranger Things comment before. Like, oh, that's the thing they're playing in Stranger Things. Like, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I've definitely experienced that. The, the Dungeons and Dragons, of course, with its new popularity, whether it's um, you know, Stranger Things or Critical Role, right, or mm -hmm. the D and D movie, like more and more people have questions. Um, yeah. In fact, one of my one of my players, who's who's relatively new, he's only been playing D and D for a couple of years now. Uh, his wife, um, they. I think they're kind of late to the game on Stranger Things. So they've just recently been watching Stranger Things and she's asking him all these questions. Like, so, so what is that like in D and D? Like, what are they talking about? And, you know, in yeah. my players, like, I have no idea. I just know what, I just know what goes on in my Thursday night games with Brad. I don't know any of this lore stuff. Like, I don't know who you know, Demogorgon is. Or um, Vecna or, you know, freaking mind flayers, which by the way, are just vastly different to what D and D is, is because, like that's the other thing they're they're misrepresenting a, a large proportion of it as well when they're showing the game being played when they are also you know referencing the mind flayer it's like this is not some like tentacly dude squidward looking <laughs> motherfucker who's like dealing with people it's some weird undulating like mind horror thing you know right. and, and vecna being this you know dude who just has a large hand and lots of worms all over him you know is is very different to how, you know, us who have, you know, experienced those modules and kind of gone through that path and, and, and learn about the lore of this kind of know it. So when people are like, oh yeah, the mind flare, like the, the big undulating thing, you're like, sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, you know, so yeah, yeah I, I feel that. So your, 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 your players struggling to, to, to give them the clarity in that moment when they're watching. Right. Games. Yeah. Cause I mean, cause really what stranger things does is use the dnd stuff in a metaphorical way right exactly like, yeah yeah like their mind flare is you know about like corrupting people and taking over their brain and you know transforming our world into the you know this alien world that the mind flares can can live in right that's yeah. that at its essence is what a mind flare is doing in dnd exactly but like the representation on the screen looks nothing like what we're used to. Right. But it's just, it's the metaphor they're using. Right. Totally. Um, yeah. Totally. So, so that, that becomes a little complex to explain to people. Cause you have to like, well, you know, here's the actual lore. And then here's yeah. the, how they're taking that lore and using that as a metaphor in this TV show. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of layers there, which is actually kind of brilliant from the writer's standpoint. Right. Totally. But, it, but it doesn't make it, it doesn't really make D and D more accessible. It just makes D and D, you know, more of a household name, I guess. Totally, yeah, that's exactly what it is. You're right, and even just words like mind flare, you know, Demogorgon, Vecna, you know, um, you know, uh, upside down, which is underdark, realistically, if we're being honest, you know, and, right. and things like that um, are not 
you know, like you said, they've, they've never been household names. No one's ever known what a mind flayer is, you know. And like you said, metaphorically, they're getting the premise of, you know, this creature that is consuming minds. It's spreading that knowledge. It's then using a hive mind to, you know, control and manipulate the things that it's taken over and, and, and things like that. I think you're, you're, you're totally right. It makes it a lot more of a household name, which when you think about it, like, like you said, what a fucking genius marketing strategy from both, you know, the, 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 the brother, the, the Duffer brothers or whoever it is who writes mm, yeah. Stranger mm-hmm. Things. Um, and then also, you know, Watsi, who I guarantee you are in conversations with them and about, they're like, what should we need? We, we need a big bad guy. And Watsi are like, Vecna, we, oh, oh, we've got an idea for you, you know, kind of thing. So I think that's, uh, it's definitely a, a very clever strategy and, mm. and and method to go about it you know? definitely yeah it's it, it's a super interesting space uh yeah i appreciate your insight dude you know you you you've given me a lot of things to think about and a lot of stuff to uh, to consider as as do all of your videos i'm not gonna lie mm-hmm. I, I, as do a lot of your videos i come away from a lot of them being like huh you know i haven't thought about that in this way i hadn't considered doing that like that so you know it's it's a big reason why you know we've been fans of your content why we reached out to you to help us with Sky's efforts and things like that, and 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 to be a part of our kind of you know uh, our marketing marketing strategy, <laughs> I guess uh, for 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 Sky's efforts, and you know we 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 appreciate what you do in the space that you're in very much. Um, with that being said, where can people find your amazing content? Where where can people come? Where can they where can they kind of filter to? And 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 where would you like people to to come and support you? Also. Do you have anything you want to tease? Any upcoming projects or anything that people can get excited about? Yeah, well, I'm still I'm still pretty new, so all my all my stuff right now is primarily on YouTube. Um, I do I do have a blog, which is basically just a place to um, to access some of the things that I sh- show in my YouTube videos. So, mm-hmm. like um, my friend Mike and I from the EM, EMBR or E. God, he's had his own YouTube channel for like 10 years now, and I can never get the name of his channel right. Mm. <laughs> MBR. Everybody calls it MBR because it's spelled that way, but it's M- MBR, um, video game YouTuber. Um, but Mike and I, like, <clears throat> we made this this dungeon together in a, in, a, in a YouTube video. And then, so like that dungeon's on there, like the a village I built is on there. Um, but you can access those links from the YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, so my, my next big step, like talking about plans is, uh, is to create a Patreon, um, to go with my, to go with the channel. Um, but I, I'm still like, you know, formulating ideas of what kind of content I want to put on that Patreon. Like, um, and I'm kind of leaning towards doing like short adventures. Um, It's like, like a new adventure every month kind of thing. Um, cause like we were talking about before with the, the big hardbacks, those are not easy to digest. Yeah. Um, and I personally prefer smaller, shorter adventures. Like I said, that I can kind of stitch together and make my own campaigns out of. So mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of leaning that way, but I, I haven't really convinced myself on any one particular idea for a Patreon content, but that's, in, that's all in the works now as to, um, you know, kind of formulating what that Patreon is going to look like. And that's kind of my goal for next year is to get the Patreon up and going and start producing content um, for role-playing games. 
Awesome. Hell yeah. That's super awesome. And it's 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 at Dire Den on YouTube. And right. and, yeah. and placed it at the moment. Yeah. Just want to make sure yeah. that, uh, that that everyone can find that and, and, and get to that. Um Dude, this has been awesome. I, I've really enjoyed this conversation mm. with you and getting to kind of get to know you a little bit better. Also, just appreciate your breadth of knowledge around uh, D and D. It's you know, I, I feel you're like a historian. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You're 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 an educated historian as well, which is which is super <laughs> awesome. Um, thank you for sharing so much of that with us because I feel like a lot of the conversations we have around D and D are around right here and right now, and it's often not about what's come before and what might come after yeah. and you know that kind of stuff so i really enjoyed today's conversation with you very very much um do you have anything else that you want to add homie no just thanks for uh thanks for supporting us and uh look forward to any future collaborations happy to support you going forward as well so it's it's been a it's been a nice conversation yeah it was, it was great talking with you guys it was really fun to just you know kind of go over all the the stuff with D and um i love being able to you know focus on what we enjoy about the hobby because i feel like so much of the content this this whole year ever since the ogl thing has been like all the negative stuff about watsi mm. and hasbro and you know speculation of how terrible things are going to be um so it, it's it's nice to just like <laughs> talk about the fun side of this hobby like the, we love playing these games and um we want to help more people play them like that's totally you know you totally know, totally Mm. sorry continue what you're saying sorry just agree oh, <laughs> yeah no i was just saying so like you know regardless of the evil hasbro overlord right like you know this is this is this is still a fun hobby and you know mm. there's ways to get around the overlords right we're, we're gonna we're gonna have a great hobby and a great game no matter what hasbro does um because because totally. i mean because D D is 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 our hobby right it doesn't mm. it doesn't belong to hasbro um obviously yeah. the the license and the brand of dungeons and dragons belongs to them but D D belongs to us mm. yeah i love that what, what, a, way of putting what a great way to, to 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 round this one out i absolutely love that as well mm. D belongs to us and it belongs to you new person <laughs> who's never played D before it belongs to you too so come <laughs> check out the hobby come mm. invest it's a safe, inclusive, diverse space where you'll find incredible people like Brad um, who can give you loads of advice of how to get started and how to get into this incredible hobby that Tom and I fell in love with. Mm. Hey, shit, there's like, you know what, like 100 Be years careful. between us? Be uh, who knows? Anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and yet we can we can love it and we're a million years away from it. So, you know, it's it's. It's amazing. It's a beautiful space, guys. So go check it out. And if you have the time, we have been Homie and the Dude, the father and son TTRPG team. Um, please join our Discord server. We have coming up to about 900 people in that Discord server at the moment. Um, we're super, super proud of that little familia that we've kind of grown and built into. It's a super safe, inclusive, diverse space. Um, where people come to talk the shit, uh, share homebrews, give each other advice, uh, interact with some of our weird, wacky ideas that we have at Homie and the Dude. In Do terms workshops of like, with us. Yeah, workshops, movie nights, you know, all, all the weird, wonderful stuff that we like doing in that server. So if you're interested in being part of the, the community and kind of hanging out with the hat, the familia, as we call it, check out our Discord server. There'll be a link in the description. But otherwise, guys, thank you so much for watching. Brad, Thank you so much for joining Thanks, us. We really, really appreciated it. And uh, yeah, guys, we'll catch you guys in the uh, the next episode. See you then. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>